Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Beth Emanuel is committed to proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and Messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. A few months ago, I received a letter inquiring about King Solomon. It was a piece of paper mail sent in an envelope addressed to me at Beth Emanuel and affixed with a stamp, like we used to do in olden times. I don't get much mail like that, and I have yet to send a reply. But I took the timing of the arrival of this piece of mail as a sign of divine providence because it came as we launched the new Torah cycle. Those of you in a Torah club are already well aware that this year I'm writing a new commentary on the weekly Torah portions titled, The Beginning of Wisdom. The new commentary develops the idea that the Torah imparts God's divine wisdom, the same wisdom that King Solomon received and that he used to write the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and to assemble the Psalms of his father David. According to the sages, Solomon was the greatest Torah scholar that ever lived. On that basis, I'm trying to use Solomon's writings to develop commentary on the Torah. In every Torah portion, I'm utilizing material from from Solomon's writings, stories from his life, legends about King Solomon, and even the apocryphal book, Wisdom of Solomon. As we say on the last day of Passover, who will teach us wisdom at this meal? King Solomon. King Solomon will teach us wisdom. Moses, our teacher, will teach Torah. Preserved wine we will surely drink. The giant ox and Leviathan we will surely eat at this meal. On the eve of the launch of this new commentary, I received this unusual piece of snail mail from a woman. I don't know her. And she didn't know about my plans to write a Solomon-centered commentary on the Torah. But coincidentally, she had a question about King Solomon that had been deeply troubling her. It's the first and only time anyone has ever sent me a question about King Solomon, just as we are launching this new Torah Club commentary about King Solomon. She had recently picked up a new book by a popular Hebrew roots teacher and author who focuses on end times prophecies. It's a book about the Antichrist, False Messiah. I haven't read the book, so I can't comment on the book directly. I don't know what it really says, so I'm not going to name the author or the title of the book. I really like the author, and I think he's doing good work for the kingdom, so I'm reluctant to criticize. According to the person sending me the letter, the book claims that King Solomon is the original false messiah. He sets the pattern for Antichrist, and that he symbolizes and foreshadows the Antichrist. The person sending me the letter found the arguments persuasive, but she also felt deeply troubled by them. She tried to put them out of her mind, but the idea continued to haunt her. She turned to my Torah Club commentaries to try to deduce what I might have to say about this idea, but she could not find any solid discussion on the topic in the materials she owned. She wondered if I had perhaps already written on this concept. She wanted to know if I agreed with the idea that Solomon is a false messiah. It's been over a month since I received the letter, so I'm replying today by way of this teaching. First, I need to briefly introduce you to the false messiah. Jewish legend teaches that before the Messiah takes his throne, a wicked pretender will take his place, claiming to be the Messiah. 
The master warned of false messiahs that will arise and deceive many. The apostle Paul identifies the false messiah with the title, the lawless one who is coming as in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. The Apostle John refers to him as the Antichrist, who comes at the last hour. The book of Revelation depicts him as the coming beast who operates in the power of Satan. In Jewish eschatology, the false messiah conquers the world shortly before the real messiah's arrival. He is ultimately defeated by Messiah, who will slay him with the breath of his lips. Paul follows the same tradition when he says, Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. According to the book this woman read, King Solomon was the prototype of the false Messiah. Let's entertain this idea for a little bit and see if we can deduce the reasoning. I assume it starts with the messianic prophecy the prophet Nathan gave to King David in 2 Samuel 7. Nathan said that David's descendant will sit on his throne, build the temple, and rule over an eternal kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, 12-14 says, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. Remember that every king of Israel is called the Lord's anointed one, Messiah or Mashiach, because of the anointing ritual that took place at a king's coronation. So every Jewish king is called Messiah. It's a title. But the prophets of Israel looked forward to the coming of a final Davidic king and redeemer, who we call the Messiah. They derived the idea primarily from Nathan's prophecy to David. In conventional Jewish interpretation, we understand Nathan's prophecy to refer simultaneously to both King Solomon and King Messiah. Solomon sat on David's throne after him and built the temple. The ultimate son of David, King Messiah, will also rebuild the temple, establish the kingdom, and sit on the throne of David forever. The Messiah is called the Son of God on the strength of the words, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. According to conventional Jewish interpretation, the prophecy has in view both King Solomon and King Messiah. Solomon is the immediate fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy He is the anointed one that follows after David, establishes the kingdom, and builds the temple. His kingdom provides the model of the messianic era. As in the days of Solomon, it will be a kingdom dwelling secure in a time of peace. All nations will be subject to the throne of David, and envoys from the nations will bring tribute to the king in Jerusalem and seek out his wisdom. The Midrash likens Solomon to the full moon, the zenith of the kingdom, because he is the 15th generation from Abraham, and the moon is full on the 15th day of the month. After Solomon, the kingdom begins to wane, like the waning moon, until reaching the end of the month where the moon disappears in the generation of Zedekiah. In the darkness of that night, Jerusalem fell and Judah went into exile. By the way, That's the meaning behind the genealogy in Matthew 1, which says, 
So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. In Matthew's interpretation of the Midrash, King David is the 14th generation corresponding to the nearly full moon of the 14th day of the month. King Solomon is the 15th generation corresponding to the full moon of the month and the full glory of the kingdom. After his 40-year reign, the kingdom begins to decline until a new month and a new moon starts with the generation of Zerubbabel after the exile. Then, like the new moon, it begins to wax until arriving at Yeshua of Nazareth, the 14th in the cycle, corresponding to David. The next generation should be the Messianic era, corresponding to the Solomonic era, the full moon of the kingdom. Hence, the message of the gospel Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we know it's time for the kingdom? Because the 15th generation is about to begin. In this gospel-based view of Solomon, we see King Solomon as a forerunner, a portent, and a sign who provides us with the model of King Messiah and the Messianic era. But Solomon was not the Messiah or the final fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy. He reigned for 40 years, one biblical generation, The kingdom administered by the seed of David, who ultimately fulfills the prophecy, needs to last longer than 40 years and longer than 14 generations, because the prophecy says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The Messiah will need to be a son of David and a king like Solomon, ruling over a kingdom of peace and prosperity that does not end. That's the conventional interpretation of Nathan's prophecy. Solomon provides a partial fulfillment. The Messiah provides a final fulfillment. But what if we were to conclude that the prophecy cannot refer to both Solomon and King Messiah? It would be an easy mistake to make, especially if you are unfamiliar with with the elasticity of biblical prophecy in Jewish interpretation. If you approach this text with rigid literalism, and a simple sola scriptura view, you might conclude that the prophecy must refer either to Solomon or to the Messiah, but not to both. If you decide that it applies to the Messiah, then you will be forced to conclude that Solomon is a false fulfillment of the prophecy and therefore a false Messiah. I don't know if that's the line of reasoning followed in this book about Antichrist, but I suspect it is. It's a wrong conclusion based upon the false premise that the prophecy can have only one fulfillment. Assuming that's the idea, let's see if we can marshal any other evidence to support the notion that Solomon is the forerunner of false messiah. Let's see. He builds a temple and prays to God in the temple. In conventional church eschatology, the Antichrist is often associated with the temple because the Antichrist is supposed to be responsible for the abomination of desolation set up in the holy place. Paul refers to Antichrist as the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Many Christians look at the temple suspiciously. They believe Jesus came to do away with the temple and the sacrifices. So it's possible that the book associates the building of the temple with Antichrist. That's just a guess. 
I don't know if that's what the book says, but if so, it's not only throwing Solomon under the bus, but also the temple, the priesthood, the Levitical worship system, and the whole Torah. Jesus does away with the false temple and replaces it with a spiritual temple. That's not what we believe, but it's what many Christians believe. What else would there be to suggest that Solomon prefigures the Antichrist? Not having read the book, it's pretty hard to say, but once you have decided that Solomon is the false messiah, it's possible to twist anything Solomon does that seems messianic into an indication that he's the false messiah. And we already know about Solomon's folly that undoes him in his later years. He marries too many foreign women, and they lead his heart astray into idolatry. He allows them to build shrines to their gods. His heart goes astray. The book probably piles a lot of weight on those failings. What else might be an indication of Solomon as Antichrist? I read the brief cover description on Amazon. It didn't mention anything about Solomon. Instead, it suggests that Antichrist will employ the technology of artificial intelligence. If so, I suspect that the author correlates the rise of artificial intelligence with the unique impartation of divine wisdom that Solomon received from God. Rather than asking God for wealth or power or success or fame, Solomon asked for wisdom. God was impressed with his heart, so he bestowed an abundance of wisdom on Solomon in addition to the wealth, power, success, and fame for which he did not ask. It illustrates Yeshua's words, Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you as well. As a result of the divine impartation of wisdom that Solomon received, he became an expert in every field. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, Heman, Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. 1 Kings 4, 31-34 Solomon became an expert in every field, and his knowledge and wisdom grew to such legendary proportions that the whole world started looking to him for advice. Kings and ambassadors from foreign countries came to him for wisdom, prefiguring the Messianic era when the nations will send envoys to Jerusalem to seek the wisdom of King Messiah. They will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. Then the Torah will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That was already happening in the days of King Solomon, because Solomon was an expert in every field. Do you know what else is an expert in every field? Artificial intelligence. So if the author has already posited that the future Antichrist will employ artificial intelligence, or perhaps is himself an artificial intelligence, then he might infer that Solomon's uncanny knowledge and expertise in every field foreshadows the artificial intelligence of Antichrist. Perhaps the book would even say that Solomon's wisdom and intelligence was artificial intelligence, since God gave it to him as a divine gift. Again, I don't know what the book really says. I haven't read it. Perhaps I'm just jousting with a windmill and knocking down a straw man of my own creation. According to Jewish legend and folklore, Solomon's wisdom went further than that. 
He became an expert in paranormal studies. He excelled in magical arts beyond the skill of the Egyptians. He learned to control evil spirits. He forced demons to obey his commands. He became the most powerful exorcist in the world. By the way, this is why the Gospels emphasize Yeshua's command over evil spirits and his prowess as an exorcist. The Gospels are trying to persuade Jewish readers familiar with the legends about King Solomon that Yeshua is the legitimate Messiah, son of David. Just like Solomon was, Yeshua wields power as great as Solomon, the son of David. After one powerful exorcism, the master's critics accuse him of using magic and the power of demons to exorcise demons. He objects, that doesn't make sense. How could I use the devil to drive out the devil? A house divided doesn't stand, nor does a divided kingdom. I drive out demons by the finger of God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and one greater than Solomon is here. Given the spooky reputation that Solomon has as a type of magician and exorcist, I can imagine a writer making the same charges against him that the master's opponents made against him. This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Matthew 12:24. Again, I don't know if these are the arguments that the book makes or not, but all of these arguments go in completely the wrong direction. If Solomon and his kingdom is to be at all understood as a sign and portent for the end of days, Solomon represents King Messiah, son of David, ruling over the entire world during the Messianic era. To recast him as a portent of false Messiah is troubling. I suspect that Many of the points of evidence utilized to make the case that Solomon represents false messiah could also be employed to make the case that Yeshua is not the messiah. In summary, the answer is no. Solomon does not represent the false messiah. He represents the real messiah. The 40 years of his kingdom foreshadows the thousand years of the millennial kingdom of messiah. Nevertheless, there is an Antichrist figure in our Haftarah portion for today. This week's Haftarah portion on Chaye Sarah tells the story of Solomon's succession to his father David's throne. King David is in his last days, infirm and bedridden. His servants bring him a beautiful young girl named Avishag to care for him. David seems unaware of her and uninterested in her. Meanwhile, his oldest surviving son, Adonijah, leads a conspiracy to usurp the throne. David had spoiled Adonijah, never disciplining him as a child, never asking him, Why do you behave the way you do? Adonijah invites everyone, except for those most loyal to his father David, to attend his coronation. Nathan the prophet doesn't get an invitation. No one understood the gravity of the moment better than Nathan. He was the one who made the original prophecy about David's heir. He knew that the decisions made that day would have consequences far beyond his lifetime or even Solomon's lifetime. Nathan knew that Solomon was the chosen one. He also must have known that the prophecy of an eternal kingdom would far outlive David's immediate successor. Somehow, in some way, God would have to make good on that prophecy by raising up a son of David who would rule over an eternal kingdom. Nathan was looking toward the day of the Messiah. 
So Nathan goes to King David and warns him about what's happening and urges him to quickly anoint Solomon as king because Adonijah's coronation feast is almost over. David instructed them to anoint Solomon with oil in the same way that Samuel had previously anointed Saul and David. Then they were to blast the shofar and shout, Long live King Solomon! They anoint him with the sacred anointing oil made by Moses in the wilderness. They sound the shofar, just as we do on Rosh Hashanah, in honor of the king's coronation and the coming of the Messiah. And they acclaim him king with a trumpet blast and a great shout, Yehi HaMelech Shlomo, which literally means, May Solomon the king live. The great shout was followed by playing on flutes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth shook at their noise. 1 Kings 1.40 When Adonijah's guests heard the shofars and the acclamation shout coming from Solomon's coronation, they realized that they had cast their allegiance with the wrong king, and they quickly fled from Adonijah. In the future to come, when the trumpet blast of Messiah is heard, all those who worship the beast and cast their allegiance with the false Messiah will be ashamed and terrified. The shout of acclamation is a confession of allegiance to be offered to King Messiah when, at the name of Yeshua, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Yeshua, the Messiah, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In that day, there will be great rejoicing, playing on flutes, and the earth will shake with the noise of rejoicing. We will all shout joyfully to the Lord with lyre, and with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the shofar, we will shout joyfully before the king. In that moment of acclamation, the heavens will be glad, the earth will rejoice, the field will exult, the sea in its fullness will roar, the rivers and the trees of the forest will clap their hands and sing for joy, the mountains will sing joyfully, they will skip and dance like rams, like lambs, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and virgins, old men and children, with dancing and timbrel and lyre, every tongue will declare, Yehi HaMelech Yeshua. Find rest for your soul.